Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 2. You know, I, I'm privileged to be in touch with Luke and Sylvie every week. On Tuesdays, we do Message of the Week for the French-speaking peoples, and I've never really even been able to master how to say his name properly. It's supposed to be Luke, Luke. And whenever I say it, Sylvie just laughs, you know, so... I don't know, Fran. I think it's a lost cause. But turn to the book of Luke today, chapter 2. We want to talk about um, something that we've read over and over again um, concerning Jesus and how, um, how he grew uh, as he, uh, after he was born what God was doing through him, but we want to look at it in, a, in, a, in an expanded way today. I believe this is something that the Lord is wanting us to see because I think this is happening in all of us. So Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 40, we'll read verse 40 and then we'll read uh, verse 52. Verse 40, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Then verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in grace with God and man. One thing that I think we need to see here is that at the very beginning of the description of how Jesus was developing, it says that he waxed strong in spirit. And this is a very important thing for us to, to understand because um, the development of the human spirit, spirit that each of us has, is one of the most underdeveloped understandings uh, in the church. You know, I've been putting together uh, various chapters for uh, a book about how we, we need to be praying, how we need to be understanding how that then helps our mind to assimilate the deeper things of the Spirit of God. We've had all those friend teachings. And part of what I've been working on is the various times in the Scripture where it speaks about some kind of influence came into the spirit of people. And I have not grouped them yet. You know, it's easy to group when there's a progression in the Scripture that's repeated over and over again. You obviously see the groupings. But when things are sporadically listed from Genesis through Revelation, it's really, it's really up to the person who is, who is grouping them to say where they all go. But it's, it's interesting that there are over 50 different types of influences in the Scripture, listed in the Scripture, concerning our spirit and effects that come against our spirit or the way we should be functioning in our spirit. Can you imagine that? And how many times have we ever had any teaching on that? Uh, and and it's, it's so important for us because God has given to us 
a, each of us a deposit of his spirit. And you can see how what a person does or does not do with their spirit affects empires, affects kingdoms, affects how God can move in a person, or affects how a person goes down the road toward damnation, uh, how a person can excel or linger in the wasteland, the shadow lands of just stumbling through life. The Bible's very clear about these influences in spirit, but as a classic Pentecostal from the time as, as early as I can remember, I was always kind of confused about what the Spirit actually did, you know, because we always believe, oh, Lord, send your Spirit. Like we were just reliant on God giving us a download or a dollop of the Spirit, or we spoke in tongues, we're filled with the Spirit, and we would sing songs about the Spirit, but we never really talked about what went on in, in a tangible way in the spirit within that is born again only through accepting Christ. And, and it's so important that we recognize that, yes, when we pray in the spirit, that spirit prays. And, um, but beyond that, we have a responsibility from the word of God to recognize these influence comes, these influences come against the spirit of a person. These, these characteristics of a disciplined spirit, a, a spirit that is under control on behalf of the work of God, these characteristics will determine whether God can use you in grace, whether God can promote you, or whether you're going to fall. And if you're not watching what's going on in your spirit, and if you're not taking responsibility from that, from a biblical perspective, you can be defeated. You know, death and life are in the power of the tongue, but the Bible very clearly says that these people come at me with their lips, but their heart and what's going on inside them is far from me. So it's, it's great that we pray in the spirit, but it's also of necessity as we study that to recognize we have to take accountability for this powerful divine influence within us that Jesus came so that we might find a born-again experience in that. We're going to surrender that to God when this life is over, and uh, what goes on in that spirit will largely influence what happens in the mind? What happens in life? How we serve the Lord? And I really believe that one of the main things that we will give account for is what we've done with this great gift, the spirit within, that Jesus gave his life so that it might be reinvigorated and born again so that we might serve God. So... Um, I haven't taught about that, but I've sure been studying it, and um, I don't know when I'll present that because, you know, again, we've got a seminar coming up, and God knows in four months what else he's going to be giving us, but just know that that's in the works, and we need it because the battle right now is a battle in spirit. It just is. And I think it's very interesting that the first thing that the Bible speaks about our Lord Jesus, we're celebrating his birth on this month, whether it happened in December or not, uh, that, that the first point of development 
is that he waxed strong in spirit. Now, what does that strong in spirit mean? Because as we study in in future about these influences that affect our spirit, um, this this characteristic, being strong in spirit, is of utmost uh, necessity for us. This is our one of our, our words that we've studied over the years, the top power word in the New Testament, kratos. This is from kratos. So the first thing we want to recognize is that what Jesus did um, in his spirit was totally under the directive of the throne of God. That, that the power of the throne is what governed what went on in his spirit. Now we know he must be about his father's business. Don't you know I've come to do the will of the one who sent me? All of those wonderful verses. But from the time he was born, his spirit was activated and aligned with the power of the throne. And that's so vitally important. Now let's take that. Uh, I'm really detailing one of the chapters in this book whenever it's going to be done. Um, maybe before the millennium. <laughs> If we say that the Kratos is governing his spirit, then we have to recognize that um, what, what does Kratos mean beyond the power of the throne? Well, I've done some studying about that, and I recognize that in the ancient Greek culture, this word was used to describe the ultimate governing. You know, in the Greek myths, they would talk about how that Olympus or um, you know, the, the, the ruling, what they believe the ruling spirits that they governed by this process. And then they would use in their society, if there was somebody who was under a measure of authority, they would be under the kratos. So this term throughout the Greek culture always recognized the fact that there was a governing influence and that somebody was either in that influence or answering to that influence, which I think is very interesting that the Spirit then directed the Apostle Paul in all of those progressions that we say Kratos is the power of the throne. At the top was that, and he knew, and the Spirit obviously knew, that in their culture that always meant the ultimate power and that every power below that had to answer to it. I thought that was very interesting. There's a derivation of Kratos in the New Testament that, that speaks about the hand. There's a, great, there's a great connection between Kratos and somebody operating on behalf of the hand. In fact, you can see influences of this. He laid hold on somebody, or the hand of God in the Septuagint went out, and it was a derivative of Kratos. It, it was a connective derivative between the word for hand and Kratos. And it said, when something is being done that was the ultimate authority that affects life or affects a nation, it was, it was Kratos in the hand. And I thought that was interesting, too. Now, if Jesus' spirit was aligned in Kratos, then the mind of Christ most likely was demonstrated in a fivefold way. So what does that mean with Kratos? And this is the last thing we'll talk about with this word. 
Well, you think about it. Kratos would have to represent with his apostolic mission because if you talk about an apostle or an apostolic mission, that means there is a missive from the throne. So if you're talking this in a fivefold way, well, that has to line up. The apostolic has to be this. Do you know that? Remember that the Bible says that Jesus was an apostle. You, you read that. He was sent from the Father, apostello. So really, in the New Testament era, the first apostle was Jesus. So he was operating on behalf of the throne. Well, what's next? Well, Iscus or Iscarus, when we see that speak about angels, you know, in, in Revelation 10, the angel comes with the rainbow, the authority of the covenant of the Lord on his head. He makes with a loud voice a proclamation. So that would have to be prophetic. The Iscarus would have to align with the prophetic. And, you know, all things begin with a voice. And um, I, I believe that every word, Jesus is the living word. I mean, he came to do the will of the Father, but he's the living word. So he's making declaration, not just because it's read in your Bible. He's making declaration that we live on today, that rocks nations, that rocks the very, you know, the demons believe and tremble at the sound of his word. And so that would have to come next, and that's, that's perfect in that progression. Now, I would say next that the exousia, the authorities under that, would have to align with the teacher. Because if you're going to govern, you've got to have a set of understandings. You can't just be a governor where anything goes. It seems like our nation's going that way. Well, you know, there's no judgment. Let's just everybody do what they want to do. If dope addicts or child molesters want to just live on the street outside of police uh, outside of elementary school, that's okay. Just leave them alone. God is love. Let them do whatever they want to do. If people want to go through the Apple store in, in California and just grab $40,000 with equipment, the employees can say, just let them go, and the police aren't going to search them. That's okay. Just let them do it. What society can long survive that? You can't. You can't. And so um, you've got to have in in any kind of authority progression an understanding of how to govern and that would line up with exousia that's why jesus came as the apostle the living word and he taught he taught and make disciples jesus went everywhere teaching and preaching teaching was always at the heart of our lord because the people had to understand he would sit down and he would open his mouth and he would begin to teach and they would say, as Nancy said today, no one's ever spoken like this. And so I, I, I know that that's very clear. The dunamis power comes always under the exousia and that would be the evangelist. And that links up perfectly because when the Apostle Paul was listing the fivefold offices, we know that one of the characteristics of the evangelist is Mighty works, dunamis, the dunamis power. So there's an explosiveness there that heralds all of these other things. And then the pastor would line up with the megas because you've got to have somebody on site. You've got to have make sure that the, the footstool is, is populated with proscuneo and diversities of tongues and governments and the timing of the spirit. 
and that would be there. So if, you're, if you ever are going to say, which this does, that the first point of development in the baby Jesus was that his spirit was aligned with the Kratos, then all of these things are there. Jesus didn't just come and say, I've come to do the will of my Father, and I'm functioning in the Kratos. Well, you can't just, Kratos doesn't stand alone. God just doesn't stand alone. He is one and only. But all of these other things in his word have to cascade down as a waterfall of his presence from the Kratos. So this was operative in Jesus' life. So I would say that it ought to be operative in all of us. We should recognize that this ma'a, this central core of what we are, where the born-again Spirit of God is in all of us, has to be under the directive and command of the one who sent it, the Kratos power of the throne of God. And, and if we keep that as our banner, our operative identity, then these other things that are easily studied in the Scripture that could go wrong in the Spirit, they all come into a line. This is the answer for every kind of malfeasance of Spirit. This is the, you know, for instance, you know, God looks for somebody that is of a contrite Spirit. That's one of them. It's very easy to be contrite when you recognize, hey, look, Oh, man, the, the one, my spirit has to be contrite because I remember the one who said it. I remember that he's over all. It's easy to be contrite. How does pride enter in? When you say, oh, wait a second. Just as, as, as iniquity, the pride of the enemy was found in him. I don't know that I want to submit to that one on the throne. I can be just like him if I want to be. I know the ways. I can do it. Well, that's pride, and it comes before a fall. The way that we cause our spirit to, to really function in victory and the way God sent it to us to experience is to always remember that we're under the direct alignment of the throne of God, and then all of these things manifest under it. And, and when we pray in diversities of tongues, when we pray in unknown tongues, what are we praying? We're speaking to who? To God. <laughs> right? And we are, we are speaking His mysteries. What He wants to do. Right? This is what the Bible says. You know, you're not praying in tongues so you find a nice parking spot at North Park during Christmas season. You're praying until God can give you that favor. But that's not what your tongue's focus is. Uh, you know, God, it's just so amazing to see these things. But to me, the very first thing that the, that the Spirit of the Lord says that Jesus was developed in was this strong in spirit. Now, it also says that John the Baptist earlier on was also strong in spirit. He had a different gifting. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He was, he was prophetically fulfilling that word of repentance and uh, making a pathway of righteousness that needed to be fulfilled. But what it doesn't say about John the Baptist is what is continued here with Jesus. He was filled with wisdom, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is interesting, too. 
because filled is not our common word for filled in the New Testament. Filled with wisdom, let's see, there's the Lord. He's telling us something. Uh, filled with wisdom, this is, an, is a really weird word, filled, because it means to have a cadence. It, it, it almost means to, to have a beat by beat by beat progression. It was used to describe somebody that is rowing. Every stroke of the row was used. And so it spoke about cadence. It spoke about timing. It spoke about onward progression. It spoke about going from one place to the next. And, and it was growth. So if you have somebody who's strong in spirit and then wisdom is being developed and personified in this way, that says that God carefully, meticulously led Jesus forward into the darkness one step after another. It was like a depiction of wise faith. But that's what filled is. It's not that he just, well, he's full of wisdom now. I tell you, that's Sam. He's full of wisdom. Uh, that may be true. But this word speaks about that onward progression. And that's very important for us to see. Because what is wisdom? Wisdom is taking the light into the darkness at the directive of the Father. And it is a progression. It's step by step. It's line upon line kind of progression. And so that's what Jesus knew. See, why would the Son of God have to go in a progression? You would just think that he just had that Mona Lisa grin on all the time, and everywhere he went he had the halo around his head, you know. He never had to fight any battles. You know, we heard in Sunday school a reminder of how that he, he learned obedience to the things he suffered. That's true. But it was in this pathway of wisdom. And then he grew in stature. I see, verse 40 says, The grace of God was upon him. That's true. But here in 52, Jesus increased in wisdom. That's increased. That's, that's the word. And stature, in other words, he became, um, he became strong and somebody that people would look to. And he had grace with God and man. That's, that's so important. That's so important. Um, because grace is... Is that, is that continuing framework of going further in conjunction with the ways of God into new horizons. We, again, we heard this morning a reminder of the various things that come against a person who's moving in grace. Jesus had to face all of those. You know, if he didn't encounter every one of those for us, it said he was in all points tempted like as we are, and I believe that a good portion of that temptation was in this field of grace. Because if he didn't encounter it and defeat those oppositions to grace, where would we be? So you see these three factors, that Jesus' spirit, the baby Jesus, and then the, this, wonderful, um, this wonderful young man, Jesus, uh, when he was entering into manhood. Um, wow. 
a spirit that was devoted to the throne, the power of the throne. Someone that was step by step in verse 52, moving in cadence with the progression of God's wisdom. Do you know you've been doing that? Do you know that? We're on one of those doorsteps right now where we are in cadence, moving forward uh, in wisdom. God's light is shining into this darkness in a way that is unprecedented. And it's, it's step by step. And the grace of God is being fulfilled. Great grace is upon you. So I think that this message today was, first of all, in light of the fact that we're celebrating the birth of the Lord this month. And here is an unpreached message about how that baby Jesus grew and then what happened in verse 52 as a result of that growing through you know, you've, you've got the story of, uh, of him being lost, the 12-year-old who was lost, between verse 40 and then verse 52. Um, you see how the Lord was developed as, as a man. And this is for us, too. We have to get control of our spirit. We have to learn biblically. Uh, what to watch out for, how to keep aligned in that powerhouse within us. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord and searching all the inward parts. I don't know about you, as the old preacher would say, but I want to have every part of that spirit that God gave to me explored by the spirit. Don't you? I don't want to leave one corner undeveloped and and this is this is what we must do it's a mission that God has us on in this uh, in this time frame but we're going forth in wisdom and we're going forth in grace uh, we pray in the spirit with the spirit yes but um, it it all makes sense when we recognize that we must be aligned under the throne of God in his power wax strong in spirit this is how Jesus grew and developed because without that you're not going to really be able to function in wisdom you're not going to be functioning in grace if, you, if your spirit is not in alignment you're destined to fail you just are either through a lackadaisical attitude or, um, or pridefulness or the lack of being contrite, which means you can't function in the things of the heavens. I mean, th these are all just warning signs. But um, I, I'm so grateful that God has taken us as Pneumaticos people and showed us foundational points of this understanding. And upon that foundation, he's going to cause us through his word to develop these warnings and these instructions and these stairways into service of the Lord, all in conjunction with the spirit within that gives us life. It's from God. It will be surrendered back to God. And it's been, 
thanks be to his name, born again through the sacrifice of Jesus. But it doesn't do us really a whole lot of good. Well, I, I got to rephrase that. We are living far below our capacity in God if we don't apply the things that God's Word readily tells us are our responsibility regarding the Spirit within. And so we're going to give God that opportunity as we serve the throne. But we can talk about wisdom and grace all day long. But if, if we are not, if we're not submitting our spirit under the throne, we're, we're missing that first and vital link that our Lord patterned for us. And so there are great days ahead. God, you see how God is meticulously teaching us new things based upon things that he's already taught us? And only God could do that. And he waited for this time frame. There are ways that we would not be able to understand this, this principle had we not been already gaining experience in God to this point. If God had told us things, these things at the very beginning, somehow we would have been shortchanged, even though we've been living this principle. Anyway, I'm just rambling now. So I speak, I didn't need to tell you that, did I? I speak blessing over all of you. I speak that the quickening of the Spirit of God would come upon your spirit and that as you pray in the Spirit, with the Spirit, and as you apply uh, your dynamic love for the Lord before Him, that God would cause us to be strengthened in the Spirit and that we would then be positioned in God to move in wisdom and grace beyond anything we've known so important I declare that over you and I declare that over our saints family um, may God use us to uh, exemplify the will of his throne uh, in the days and the years to come so Father I thank you for this help us to be like Jesus help us to enjoy a relationship with you like Jesus pattern. That's, that's what Jesus prayed. Father, I pray for these that they would know you as I knew you. And so that's still his prayer. We want you. I, I speak blessing over this congregation in this day and in the days to come. And we truly look forward to working together in your kingdom. We love you. We thank you, and we ask all of these wonderful things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks, and make sure you say goodbye to Sam and speak blessing over Bev before you go. Okay? God bless.